ulterior. Did I jump the gun by naming this two-part episode Astros? Did I... Was I not seeing the vision clearly when packing up the Astros on part one of this two-part episode yesterday? Because uh, they just beat the Phillies five to nothing. So, am I a fraud? Is, it, is that how this ends? Is it currents for me? That's crazy. Anyways, so yeah, this is part two of what ended up being a two-part episode. The first part looked at the EPs for the week, so that was Vanish... Love is Vision, Jutes, and Tiger's Jaw. This episode looks at the album, so that is going to consist of Fit for a King, Five from the Gods, The Gloom in the Corner, and Polyphia. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy part two of this two-part episode. So now I'm just going to be getting right into the albums for this episode. The first one is The Hell We Create by Fit for a King. There's probably... A lot I feel like I can say about Fever King, while also acknowledging that there are other people out there who can give better accounts of the history of this band than I can, because I've been paying attention to Fever King for a minute now, but they've never like truly been one of my favorite bands in the scene. I kind of feel like they've been a band that um, they exist on that meter of like being good without being groundbreaking and there's nothing wrong with that at all you know it's it's a tough scene sometimes to stand out in and i feel like Fifer king without standing out have been able to become a, a staple in christian metalcore i, I do have a, a pretty shambolic story about how i got into Fifer king uh, and to make a a really long and dull and draining story compact and short um a girl I was interested in was wearing a Fit for a King shirt on her Instagram one time, so I'm like, hey, Fit for a King, what is this? What's good? I knew what it was, but I hadn't really paid attention to them until Slave to Nothing, and that's kind of where I picked up on. So, like, that's how I ease my way into Fit for a King, not the girl's DMs or anything like that. It's, uh, <laughs> do not ask me about that at all, okay? Just forget that I even mentioned it, even though I did. Am I going to edit this out? Nah. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm down bad. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so Slave to Nothing was followed up by Death Grip, which I think is the consensus favorite Fifer King album by most fans. I believe I'm correct in saying that. Um, it's not my favorite, but it is really good. I, I do enjoy that record. Dark Skies has possibly my favorite Fifer King song ever made in The Price of Agony. I remember just kind of being really taken aback by that song when I first heard it, uh, and especially recently when I saw them live on True Power Tour. I'm going to get to that in a second. And following Dark Skies, I feel like that is where most of the current discourse surrounding Fifer King kind of establishes itself because of The Path. So The Path was the 2020 record by this band, and 
it is still to this day incredibly divisive. I have met people and interacted with people who exists on every possible side of the spectrum when it comes to the path. I've talked to people who love it. I've talked to people who fucking hate it. Myself, I exist in the middle. I, I don't love it. I don't dislike it either. I, I really don't think it's a, a terrible record the same way that other people view it as. Maybe as a whole package, it's not very memorable, but some of the songs on there, like God of Fire and Louder Voice, uh, Locked in My Head, I really, really fuck with that stuff. And so combining everything that I've said, I've never had a reason to, um, like feel a detachment from Fit for a King. Is there a great attachment? No, but there's also definitely not a detachment in any way. Um, I kind of had that thought process cemented because of not just a singles rollout for the hell we create, but also, like I just alluded to earlier, being able to see this band live on the True Power Tour. And, uh, you know, it was, a home state show, so crowd was energized, Fifer King were energized, and they fucking killed their set. They sounded amazing, and they were like just not missing a beat whatsoever when I saw them, and so that kind of amplified my excitement for this record. Just to look at the singles rollout for The Hell We Create, I will acknowledge that I don't know if it started off on as right of a foot, per se, as it could have, just, you know, in my own brain. Uh, Reaper, it's a good single to appease the listeners who were turned away by the path, but ultimately, after getting to experience it as part of the Hell We Create as a full record, it just doesn't really have the same effect for myself as the other singles or some of the non-singles. Again, it's a good song, just not in that upper echelon of this record, in my opinion, and maybe it's because I don't really feel like it it takes enough chances or, or the amount of chances that I am really drawn to. So like, uh, for example, on and the other side, I think that is the perfect mixture of both heavy and accessible fit for a king. And they kind of just deliver every concept that they attempted on the path and failed to fully capitalize on more often than not with that record. The chorus for end is just monstrous and giant and having been in an arena setting to hear it, that's where that thing belongs. It is fucking marvelous. And much of the same thing can be applied to Falling Through the Sky. I think that song does a lot of what End the Other Side did in terms of being able to uh, show how well Fit for a King can branch out of that metalcore bubble when they want to, and just the way that they're able to do it and the prowess that they're showing in that realm. Times Like This was the final single before the album's release, and it features Jonathan Vigil from The Ghost Inside. I think it's a very good song, and it, it has like this, uh, like, adrenaline-fueling tone to it, if that makes any sense, especially for like a modern-age metalcore song. And I think overall, Times Like This plays into what I said earlier about Fit for a King, good without being groundbreaking. There was only one non-single on the album that I didn't think hit with the same delivery for myself as everything else here, and that was Eyes Roll Back, which is the heaviest song on the album, and for that reason, one of the songs I saw being heavily gassed up on social media last week. I think Eyes Roll Back is fine for what it is, and it is uh, a good, listenable metalcore song, but on a record like The Hell We Create, where I can see so many near-perfected areas of Fifer King's act that exist more in the, like, mainstream accessible side of Metalcore. A track like this that it, it kind of feels like fan service in a way, 
it's not going to entice me the same way that, you know, and the other side or falling through the sky will. I really do believe that Fifth King shine on this record when taking some of the chances that certain elitist diehards resent them for. Like, on the intro title track, the clean side of the band really shines on the course in a way that makes it, at least in my mind, to where I don't have a different desired direction for Fifth King. I think this is exactly what they should be doing. This is what they should sound like. And that title track, you know, it highlights that immediately on the record when you press play. Sink Below has one of the most singable choruses on the entire record. I would imagine that song going really, really hard live. Um, and I think uh, on Fracture, we also see, uh, you know, this side of the band where Ryan Kirby puts his clean vocals at center stage in the verses in a manner that really exemplifies just how good his delivery is in that aspect and how far he has been able to come in terms of uh, like expanding his versatility. The penultimate song, Reaching Out, is admittedly a song that kind of like exaggerates the hopecore side of metalcore that a lot of people would have preferred to have seen fade away years ago. But even with that uh, being the case, I do really enjoy this song for what it is. And I think it has some of the more emotional and like heart tugging moments on the hell we create. I know it can get easier dealing with the pain, watching through the window as the light begins to fade, reaching out to someone to take it all away. I know it can get easier. Just wish it was today. And then finally, there is the closing song, What You Left Behind, which in my opinion is a really beast example of how Fitford King can be heavy while still maintaining the more like accessible tone that they've been going for. So like this is a band who understands where they came from. They don't forget those roots but they just want to push it into a different direction. And they're doing so while still, you know, kind of bringing certain sad roots along the ride with them. And I feel like that is the ultimate uh, achievement when it comes to what what You Left Behind was able to do for me and do for my experience with the hell we create. Um, I, I think this is at large a very, very good album. There's really like no faulty points, even if I wasn't as high on Reaper and Eyes Rollback as I was some of the other stuff here, I think as an entire package, this record does way more good for Fit for King than The Path did. This is the record that The Path should have been, but at the same time, I don't think we get here without The Path. I feel like The, the Path, for as many missteps as it took, was necessary so we could get to this band realizing their potential as an accessible metalcore act with the hell we create. There are quite a few songs here that will be kept in my rotation, and I feel like, I guess maybe rewarded in a way for that because of how I just, I never tried to fit in with the people who were just shitting off it for a king at any possible turn. I never looked at them in that sort of a negative light. I always looked at the positives of Fit for a King, and I feel like I was given something to really marvel at and be proud of, even without being, you know, like a super merchant for this band. We have a brand new Fire from the Gods album called Soul Revolution.
I probably can't really recount the history of Fire from the Gods in a way that I can, you know, some of the other bands that I cover on the show, or even Fit for King, who I just uh, looked at. What I will say about Fire from the Gods is that their debut album, Narrative, it came out at a time in the summer of 2016 where a lot of uh, what was happening thematically on that record, it was like must listen to given where the, you know, certain things were heading and in terms of like, um, like social stuff and political stuff in, in that regard. Like it was just so necessary. And I remember also one of the singles on that record, excuse me, which remains my favorite fire from the God song ever. It like cemented itself as one of the highlights of 2016 for myself musically because of just the, the way that it got across its points at, at a time where it happened to coincide with where America was at and where America still is. So there were just a lot of memories I have associated with that record and excuse me in particular. And I feel like that song and that album kind of like, I don't want to say it made Fire from the Gods seem better than they actually are. That's a really harsh way to put it. But what I will say is I don't believe that they have been at that level again since the, um, the exit of that uh, album cycle. Like, I think American Sun, which dropped in 2019, is a good record, but if you ask me to pick between that and Narrative, I'm going to pick Narrative, and I would do the same thing with Silver Revolution, and I don't want to start the, the review off on that kind of a footing, but that's just me being very truthful here. And I, I don't feel that way about, like, the songs not necessarily hitting uh, with th this level of uh, effective nature, because I think they definitely do, especially with singles like SOS and Thousand Lifetimes. I think those are two of the best songs to exist in Fire From The Gods discography, just point blank. SOS has one of the cleanest fucking hooks of the entire year for the scene, and then Thousand Lifetimes, the level of emotion that you can hear throughout the verses and uh, translating into the chorus, and especially because of AJ's very unique delivery, like those two songs are, in my opinion, easily the standouts for this album. I will also say that I believe the singles rollout did kind of showcase very early on what I thought would be one of uh, like the the troubling points of the album per se, because I think the title track is a decent song, but. Considering the quality of the material at large on this album, it doesn't meet those standards, and even comparative to the singles, I believe that was always going to be the case. Um, and not really to the same extent, but two other songs, I and I and Apulian Rats, I kind of look at them as like maybe slightly weaker points on the record. Um, to me, I and I has this really strange delivery on the part of AJ that isn't really up to par with where I believe he's stood for not just the rest of the revolution mostly, but uh, a large portion of the discography for Fire from the Gods overall. Uh, I don't think the chorus on that song achieves what it could, despite being able to hear the potential in its direction. And then 8 Billion Rats is a track that takes some chances, and I can admire it in that regard. But it suffers a, a little bit from this thing that I noticed in it where it feels like the structure is continuous and not really cohesive like there's not a ton of variety thrown in to make different sections stand out and become highlighted if that makes any sense the remainder of the album though i feel like captures the essence of fire from the gods that makes them really special uh the chorus of double-edged sword is fucking massive and if it's right in with the singles that i gassed up 
World So Cold, it, that song also benefits from this stance, and I also love uh, the additional harmonies in the chorus from AJ. It kind of just like gives it um, a little bit more of like a character, I guess. Be Free has this really cool contrast between the slow verses and the amplified choruses that further showcase the strengths of Fire From The Gods. The message has this really sick effect vocally that pays homage to AJ's Jamaican roots, and it's something that doesn't feel forced or gimmicky, and there was probably not much room for error when it came to being able to make uh, this kind of an idea fit right in with the material by Fire From The Gods, so I think there's a lot of good that they achieved with the message, and the same thing also applies to Rapture Foldem. Uh, the instrumentation on that song even does the Jamaican tribute that I've been uh, referring to, and I think it is just really tremendous. And then uh, Collapse is an emphatic closing track that I think ties together the best concepts explored instrumentally on the record. It's the best stamp of approval on this album, considering how I don't believe it started off on the right foot with the title track. But journeying through Soul Revolution, by the time you get to Collapse, I feel like I was able to take away way more positive elements from this record than I was negative, even if the negative elements I spoke about earlier did ultimately hinder the performance and the overall score of the record. I forgot what I gave it. I believe it was it was either an eight or an eight and a half, and I, I'm going to stand by that, even if some of the songs I have warmed up to beyond what I was already feeling towards them when it comes to like that satisfaction that I've been trying to get across with uh, Soul Revolution. It's a good album and I think it is a very good outing from Fire From The Gods. Does it stand up against uh, American Sun? Yes. Narrative? No. And I don't know if that's just a nostalgia thing. Fucking 2016 nostalgia, dude. That's that's kind of nasty. I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where my head is at right now with Soul Revolution and Fire From The Gods overall. A good album, not the best from last week, not the best from the band, but still something that I believe is worth checking out. There's no way that I'll do this record any justice in this review, but let's proceed anyways. Trinity by The Gloom In The Corner. So who are the gloom in the corner? Um, I don't really know. I have been aware of them for a minute now, and I do remember glancing at and listening to projects of theirs like Flesh and Bone and Ultima Pluvia back when they initially released, and I think my takeaway from those specific projects were how they showed a clear prowess in the ability to achieve what the band is going for. And what they're going for is this really, like avant-garde metalcore style with a ton of lore implemented and in that respect they are exceeding beyond whatever expectations anybody could possibly have for them because i think in terms of those concepts the gloom in the corner are pretty much untouched but for a stupid shitty little normie like myself i am not particularly privy to the lore of the gloom in the corner and their material here so there is a lot of lyrical context that is kind of lost on me for this record so i can't necessarily comment 
about that, and I'm acknowledging that now. What I'm able to do is provide some commentary on the way the album sounds, and I really, really wish that wasn't the case. I wish I could do more of this review, but to the fault of my own, I can't really achieve what I want to. So looking at the material here on Trinity, the first thing that I remember coming into my stratosphere was Ronin featuring Ryo Kinoshita, formerly of Crystal Lake, and that song has this like apocalyptic sense to it that I really enjoyed back when it was a single and hearing it as part of Trinity, it does stand above everything else in my opinion as the highlight of the album. Uh, From Heaven to Hell was the second single and it also serves as the opener for the album. To me, it, it takes a different route and, or at least a different route from what I just explained about Ronin and uses this epic cinema or, or theater style score for its means of introducing everyone to the album. And in that regard, I think From Heaven to Hell is kind of a perfect opener for the record. The third single was New Order featuring Taylor Barber from Left to Suffer, and I think that song does a really good job at being able to mix the metalcore tones of Trinity with the aforementioned big epic avant-garde style that the record really does a lot to embrace at various points. Pandora's Box was the final single, and that song features Lauren Babick from Crazy 88 and YouTube fame in general. I did really, really want to like this song more than I did because I believe Lauren is sensational, but this served as one of the early points in the album where I thought that maybe the concepts explored here were starting to lose me in a way. Like, there is so much happening that I try to understand, but ultimately, I think some of uh, the appreciation that I could have possibly ventured into with this record is lost on me for some reason, and that admittedly has more to do with myself than it does gloom. I don't think the record struggles to find any strong suits, like there's a song on here called Norhell of Fury that embodies what I mentioned before about the apoplectic style of the gloom in the corner, and there's a real sense of unpredictability in how that song structured itself, like I can't really, or at least when I heard it for the first time, I couldn't uh, envision what was going to come next, it was like this really cool adventure and a really cool roller coaster ride that I was more than happy to partake in for the gloom in the corner. But then, there are more points on the record where I can't really piece everything together to find the ability within myself to embrace what is going on here. It really just sounds like there are all of these elements mixed in for the sake of it, rather than having any um, like layers of substance to Trinity and the overall delivery of the album. There's a song called Black Rot that features Monica Strutt from The Last Martyr, and I think she sounds great, but... There's a part of the track where her voice is meant to coincide with Mikey Arthur's, and I just don't think it really works that well, or at least it doesn't work to the level that it was intended to. Um, Gatekeeper features Ryan Kirby from Fit for a King, and maybe this is because Fit had a record that same day, but I just didn't think that Ryan really added anything to the song, or he didn't add a lot in a way that I would have expected a vocalist of his caliber to be able to contribute. And then there is the closing song, Hail to the King, featuring Joe Bad from Fit for an Autopsy, and to me, Hail to the King is eight minutes of the same concepts from the rest of Trinity that had already been exhausted by that point. Like, that song, it was hard to get through. I was really, really struggling to maintain attention to the song, and that's, like, it, it makes it memorable, for sure, but it's memorable because I was struggling to stay awake. I'm really sorry for coming across like harsh about this, but there was just nothing about that song that really 
um, enticed me to believe it was something in the upper echelon of Trinity. I think the song itself sounds fine. The instrumentation is great. Being able to do all that for eight minutes is definitely uh, an achievement, but it's eight minutes of just stuff that's not really, really interesting or captivating to me. And that's probably where I want to leave off this review for Trinity. Not captivating. It doesn't really grab me the way that I've seen other people mention it. And I feel like I am left out in this instance, and that's my own doing. I wish I could be with the rest of you guys in the celebration and the excitement for Trinity, but it's just not there, and I can't pretend that it is. And for the final album of the episode, we have one of my most anticipated releases of all of 2022, Remember That You Will Die by Polyphia. So I'm not even really sure where to start with this review because I feel like there are so many avenues that I can take all of you guys with me on when talking about Polyphia and my history with this band because they have been one of the most important bands out there for myself in the last decade. They just kind of showed up out of seemingly nowhere for me. I remember finding them on Muse, a 2014 record, and there was a lot when it came to that album that I wasn't expecting. I didn't know instrumental music could like pr- provide the experiences and the emotions pouring out of me that Muse managed to do. And it was somehow amplified from there with Renaissance in 2016. I've said this before on this podcast, then to some people, just, you know, personally, individually, whatever. Renaissance was my 2016 album of the year, and I stand by that to this day. Renaissance is the most complete and perfect instrumental piece of music I've ever heard in my life. Yes, I've listened to Beethoven. Fucking, who is Beethoven in comparison to Tim Henson? Like, for real. I don't know why Beethoven was my go-to and there are other instrumental bands in the scene, like Animals as Leaders and Intervals, but just let me cook for a second. And then New Levels, New Devils in 2018, like that's still top 10, top 15 for that year. Like Polyphia have never once missed. And my responsibility and duty right now is to sit here and tell all of you guys that remember that you will die just reaffirms how fucking incredibly talented I believe Polyphia are. And if for whatever reason you have never been able to experience Polyphia and you get remember that you will die as your instruction to the band, I feel like in that sense, maybe this shouldn't be the album that you start off with. Definitely go look at Muse or Renaissance or New Levels because Remember That You Will Die is vastly different from anything that they've done prior. And the biggest reason for that would be the amount of guest feature spots. And I will get to that in a little bit, but I kind of want to start from the beginning of the album rollout because we got Playing God as the lead single back in, I believe it was May. And there's a lot going on with Playing God. At its core, it has that very patented, vintage, polyphious style, but they threw in flamenco guitars, and the effect that that had on the like execution of a polyphia track was something that I couldn't have even really expected. Something that I think Playing God does really well is showcase every possible layer to polyphia or at least every possible layer that can be 
surfaced for a lead single. And on, on like a side note tangent, playing God reminds me in a way of Dancing Mad from Final Fantasy VI, which I think might be the greatest score in the history of video games. Um, the next single afterwards was Neurotica, which shows some hints of like Renaissance tones in the guitar work. And that was big for myself because of what I just mentioned about my attachment to Renaissance. Neurotica was the kind of song where I'm like, okay, I don't know exactly what core direction Polyphia are taking for this new album, but whatever it is, they're two for two on singles already. Like, this is crazy. And then I somehow got even fucking crazier with the third single, ABC featuring Sophia Black. This is my favorite song on Remember That You'll Die as of right now. I think what ABC does is it kind of acted as like the first real showcase of how different the feature spots were going to make this record in comparison to everything beforehand that Polivia had done. Sophia Black took ABC and made it almost like Sophia Black featuring Polyphia and not the other way around the way that it actually is. Um, she has the perfect like anime-esque voice for this kind of track. I think ABC is so fucking catchy and infectious and it's something that like all the way back to when I first heard it as a single, it immediately became the foundation of the album without me having even heard the album in full yet. Um, some of the other feature spots like Steve Vai on Ego Death, it is everything that someone could have been expecting if they are familiar with the name Steve Vai and what he brings to that sort of like virtuoso style of guitar work. And then getting into the rest of the material, the feature spots just take everything that Polyphia have been doing and kind of elevate it. I'm not saying elevate in the sense that like this is better than any prior Polyphia album, but it's just, it's so different. And it's something that I can fully appreciate as a fan of Polyphia and also appreciate the knowledge they had that doing something a little bit more experimental with this record wouldn't have been a bad idea. The opening song is Genesis and it features bass tracks and bass tracks, I feel like in some way bass tracks kind of acts as like a backbone for the record because the incorporation of trumpets is able to take Genesis and make it even more remarkable than it already would have been. And there's a song later on called All Falls Apart. It is ultimately like an interlude. It wasn't meant to be an interlude and I don't want to explain what happened with that song, but um, there's trumpets in there as well. And I don't think bass tracks is a credited feature artist, but like all, all of that trumpet work just to me just screams out bass tracks. Nobody has gone that fucking hard on trumpets for a song since John Cena's theme. The audacity features anomaly and they provide keys for this track. And I, I think what the audacity and Genesis and maybe all falls apart really do well is show how Polyphia are able to take these feature artists and really like morph their work into their songs, even if that feature spot isn't coming in the form of vocals. But having said that, the vocal spots are really where the album takes a turn from being good to great to undeniable. Like I think Kill Station on Memento Mori and Snot on Fuck Around and Find Out their like SoundCloud hip hop style delivery, it makes total sense for the backing tracks for those two songs. It's just like, I couldn't have imagined the execution on vocals being done any differently than what they were able to provide. Like those songs sound so full of life in 
ways that differentiate from how Polyphia normally inject life and character into their music. The same thing happens on Chimera featuring Lil West, but Lil West isn't featured on the entire track, and there are moments where it's just Polyphia, but the way that they can take the instrumentation of Chimera and almost give it like a like a Spanish hint per se, it is truly, truly astonishing how this band can achieve anything they set their minds to with just instruments. And again, the fact that an instrumental band can evoke this level of emotion for me, I don't ever, ever want to take that for granted. And I guess where I'll kind of like cap off the review for the music itself comes through Bloodbath featuring Chino Moreno from Deftones. I was very, very curious what the song would sound like, and I kind of knew what was going to happen, or at least I had an idea in my head, and ultimately that is what came to fruition. It's a little bit of the opposite of what I said earlier about ABC and how that song sounds like Sophia Black featuring Polyphia. Bloodbath is very much so Polyphia featuring Chino Moreno. It doesn't really sound like Deftones. It doesn't have that kind of a, like a brooding notion to it necessarily. But what I think Chino does here is he's able to take his voice that is so iconic and people have latched onto for decades and really tailors it to what Polyphia is doing on Bloodbath. And I think that is exactly how Chino's guest spot should have been done. I've been able to spend a lot of time with Remember That You Will Die and each time I'm able to work my way through these songs, I just feel this sense of gratitude that I can maybe use two hands to count the other bands aside from Polyphia who are able to do that for me in this day and age. And again, it's primarily instrumental and that is astonishing and amazing and it's a a work of art by Polyphia and everything that they've been able to do for me, everything that they continue to do for me, it is something that I, I feel like I might never truly have the words to be able to explain on this podcast. Polyphia are them, they've always been them, they will always be them, and Remember That You Will Die is just another example of Polyphia being, in my opinion, the greatest instrumental band ever. And that's it. So that was every album for me to get through from this week, aside from Dwayne and Arm's Length, who will be covered in on social media in a few weeks as part of that like catch-up series that I intend to do with the records that I missed out on for the year. So, yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, Next week's probably going to be two parts as well. I'm saying that now. I I didn't uh, expect this week to be two parts, but next week, yeah, there's a lot happening. So, we will find a way to work our way through all that mess. A hot mess, but a mess, regardless. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this two-part episode. And, as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene. 